Welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Today is September 6, 2016, and I am your host, William Hill, as usual. Um, today we're going to be sitting down and, and, and talking with an author. He's actually across the pond uh, in Scotland, and we're going to be talking with David Randall, who has written a book titled A Sad Departure, Why We Could Not Stay in the Church of Scotland. And we're going to talk about the book, the issues that uh, that generated the book and, and the, the topic matter um, in just a few minutes. So let me just give everybody the, the, the basic spiel that I usually give every podcast at this juncture. Um, I want to remind everybody about our website, confessingourhope.com. Um, there you can access all of the past broadcasts as well as notes on the different shows that we've done, links, resources, and and as well as uh, make yourself, um, avail yourself of the faith and practice signature program that we do every month with Dr. Piper. When you, the listener, write in questions and he answers them on the air, um, anywhere from a theological or practical nature. We've done 29 of those broadcasts so far, so uh, continue to write in. And if you do, and we use your question, you'll receive $10 off at the Banner of Truth. Now, speaking of the Banner of Truth, the book we're going to be talking about today um, is published by the Banner of Truth. And so we're happy to partner with them in, in promoting their material, the work, the topics of interest to the listeners uh, that do listen to this particular program. In addition to the website for the podcast, of course, uh, this is a podcast of Greenville Seminary. And if you are interested in more information about the seminary, they have a website as well. It's gpts.edu. And, and again, as I say almost on every program, uh, the seminary depends largely on the faithful prayers and donations of our listeners, as well as others. Um, and if you're able to help support the seminary in the training of men for the gospel ministry, then please do that. Um, you can do that at the website at gpts.edu. There's a donate link there, and it's a very simple uh, way of doing that. Any amount is help uh, to the school and to its mission to train men, uh, well, well-trained men uh, for the work of the ministry. So um, again, avail yourself of that and help us as you can. But of course, pray for us as the new semester has begun and the students are now actively working uh, to complete their course requirements. Now, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking with David Randall. He, is, he has written a book, uh, A Sad Departure, Why We Could Not Stay in the Church of Scotland. Again, it's published by the Banner of Truth, and it was published in 2015. So, Mr. Randall, it's great to have you on, even though we had technical problems in the beginning. <laughs> we are supposed yeah. to do this last week, and, but it's good to have you on and, and utilize these resources that we can even talk. You're in Scotland, but you seem like you're right in the same room with me. That's right. Thanks very much for the invitation. I'm delighted to speak to you. Absolutely. Well, Mr. Randall, um, the listeners may may not know much about you, um, and mm-hmm. um, and and obviously we're trying to uh, get this material, this book, into the hands of the listeners. So why don't you tell them a little bit about your background, and then we'll get into the book and talk about the subject of the book at that point. Right. Thanks very much. Yes, I'm uh, my, as you said, my name's David Randall, and I'm uh, I have been in ministry for well 45 years altogether. Served in one parish of the Church of Scotland for 39 years in a fishing community in the northeast of Scotland. Uh, retired in 2010, and it's uh, really just around that time and since that time that this uh, great controversy has come to a head within the Church of Scotland that has led me and many others to depart from the Church of Scotland. And in fact, I am now a minister of the Free Church of Scotland. So that's my present position. I have, uh, I'm married, and we have uh, two sons who are both pastors. One is mm. 
pastor in Falkirk Free Church, and the other is a pastor of an international Presbyterian church in Larbert, which is a town just in, beside Falkirk in central Scotland. Uh, both of them were Church of Scotland ministers as well, who've, who've also departed from the Church of Scotland at this time. And then we have also have one daughter uh, who's, who's married, and uh, altogether we have six grandchildren. So maybe that's enough to paint in something of who I am. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I I have a, a certain affinity to Scotland. Uh, my daughters actually went over and served with uh, uh, help uh, Andrew Quigley's church. I don't know if you're familiar with him, um, no, but he so. they they went over. I'm trying to remember the the Airdrie Airdrie mm-hmm, Scotland yes, and right. and to help uh, with some mission work and um, summer outreach and vacation Bible school type stuff. And they did that a couple different times. And then they also went to Ireland as well and did did similar activities yeah. there so um so i i have somewhat of a personal interest yes. in how things I, are going i have a certain connection with the states as well in, in the small way that i did do a year at a thm at princeton seminary uh, way back in uh, 1969-70 that would have been uh, and enjoyed that uh, time it was largely under professor bruce metzger that, whose name i'm sure you'll know uh, sure, many sure. listeners will know a New Testament, and uh, greatly enjoyed that time in the states. Yep. Well, he. It's 1969. I was three. <laughs> so Don't make not me to feel make you so feel, old. Not, not to make you feel old, but yeah. I'm. Uh, I'm getting. I'm getting there. We're all headed there. <laughs> well, yeah. the banner. The banner has put this book out, and it is um, a, a very informative. Uh, read uh, as it pertains to the particular subject that um, you, you had already uh, mentioned, um, 39 years in the Church of Scotland and then just recently uh, moved into the um, the Free Church of Scotland. Now, um, what made you write the book in the first place and what kind of reception has it received um, yeah. from the readers at this right. point? Right. Well, what uh, led to writing the book really was <laughs> actually uh, the, the small detail of the thing was that uh, Ian Murray, who is the founder of the Banner of Truth Trust, uh, was attending one of my son's uh, congregations for a while and said uh, somebody should write a record of all that has happened within the Church of Scotland in these last few years. And then he, he added, what about your father? <laughs> so that, that's actually where it started. And uh, the motivation has been really to provide an account of the things that have uh, led up to the present split uh, within the Church of Scotland or split away from the Church of Scotland to to give an account of what has happened and why it has happened, uh, partly to set it down as a kind of historical record before some of the detail gets lost in the mists of time, you know, um, mm-hmm. and also to give a rationale, uh, a, a reason why many of us have, in fact, departed from the Church of Scotland. So that's that's the genesis uh, of the project. And uh, as you know, I've tried to put it into a historical context, give a scriptural uh, foundation, and and then enter into some of the arguments that have uh, arisen in controversy. And and how has this book been received? Well, the the reports that have come to me have been good. <laughs> Um, sure. It may be that people who who hate it and and dislike it and disagree with it uh, haven't actually come to me. The the reviews that I've seen have been generally quite good. Um, as you, as you'll know, and as your uh, listeners will know, the the crux of the thing has been connected to the ordination of 
practicing homosexuals as ministers. But underlying all of that is the issue of the authority of Scripture, really. And, I mean, that's been the the heart of the, the whole argument, really. That's what we've tried to focus on, actually, and, and, and try to get away from the accusation of some that we're kind of homophobic and all, all that kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to right. try and get to the, the biblical basis. Um, now, one of the main, in fact, the only real uh, issue that's been raised in reviews has been why didn't people, ministers and others, leave the Church of Scotland at an earlier time? And that's been related in particular to the question of women's ordination. Why, when the church allowed women's ordination to the eldership first and then to ministry, why did evangelicals not leave the church then? Uh, now, that's been the the, the main uh, negative thing that I've seen in any of the reviews. There may be many other negative things that haven't come to my ears. But generally, uh, as far as I'm aware, people have r- received it as a reasonable account of what has happened and you know written without any great uh, rancor or, or or argumentative spirit so that's something of uh, what i know of how, how it has sure. been received yeah it, it's the typical um situation where probably you're not hearing the negative if yeah. there are any yeah and of course the good ones people are more than happy to share those yes, yes. as okay. well mm-hmm. well you, you kind of as you answered that question and and uh, went through it. You, you gave me somewhat of an outline as to, I think how to best approach this discussion as as it mm-hmm. pertains to the topic. And and you, first, I guess is what did happen. And and I realize that's a very big, a simple question to a very big issue. But yeah. let's yeah. start with the what, and then we'll do why, yeah. and then the rationale for why men left um, mm-hmm. right. the Church of Scotland right. as a result. Yeah. What happened uh, initially, it uh, started with one particular person who was uh, moving from one parish to another, um, and this person let it be known that he was a practicing homosexual. And so the issue arose as to whether the presbytery in the first place, and then through appeal process and everything, the General Assembly, should approve of that uh, ordination, or or induction rather. Now, in, in time... It was approved by the the, the General Assembly. Um, that was back in 2009, and uh, since then there have been just one, there have been several steps, one after another, which have now eventually moved to the position where the General Assembly has approved of ministers being inducted or holding office who are either in a civil partnership or indeed in a so-called same-sex marriage as allowed by uh, uh, UK law. So that's that's uh, basically what has happened. And of course, all along, there have been evangelical people who have tried to argue against this and who have pointed out that it uh, not only distances us from the church of the ages and most of the church of the present time, but mm-hmm. more fundamentally from Scripture. Um, so that's that's really what... Has uh, has happened? Yeah, it's interesting to me. I, I, you're probably aware that the issue of homosexual ordination and, and whatnot is not unique to Scotland, no, the UK, Europe. I mean, the United States is rest, churches in the United States are wrestling with all the yeah. way from liberal denominations, which is no surprise, mm-hmm. to 
the middle of the road denominations and in some inroads as it were into some conservative yeah. um denominations as well um mm-hmm. and so just to clarify um the the issue that occurred in the church of scotland was related to the practice of homosexuality not necessarily the the attraction or the same sex attraction that's right to homosexuality that's right so and, was, and those of us who've argued on this matter have tried hard to to make that distinction to make the point that we're not really uh, talking about people who experience same-sex attraction and who who seek to live a, a, a celibate life, you know, a biblically uh, a faithful life within that context. It's really the practice of homosexuality that has been the the issue. Right. So that that it, it, as it were eliminates all the rankering and debate over mm-hmm. as other over whether a christian can can be or shouldn't be attracted to yeah. in in the in the whole question of Romans 1. So we're talking about the actual practice yeah. um mm-hmm. of of ordained ministers who are uh seeking transfer or yeah. or installation into a different um church or mm-hmm. parish church yeah. in that case. Yeah. So so how did this that's the what? So why why did this happen other than the, other than the reality that everything seems to slide to liberalism. I don't know why that is. It seems to be the gravity of yeah. our sinful condition. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah. what was, how did it, how did it get its momentum? And where is it now then as a result? Right. Well, yeah, it, it got its momentum from that one particular case that I mentioned uh, just now, um, where a minister was in that position and wanted to move to another charge. That, that's really where it got its momentum from. Um, and then, as I say, it has it has just moved steadily year by year at the time of the General Assembly each year in May in, in a more and more liberal direction. Now, having said that, uh, about 2009, uh, that's when the issue came to a head, as it were. But you could say that it goes back a lot uh, further back than that in terms of the basic um liberal versus evangelical divide within the church. And there has been the kind of uh, liberal tendency that has gained ground within the Church of Scotland over a long time, really. I mean, I know the Church of Scotland is not the only denomination that's been affected in that way, but sure. uh, but that's what has happened. Um, many evangelical people and some evangelical colleagues who remain within the Church of Scotland have tried to argue that uh, that they are the real Church of Scotland and that it is the liberals who should be leaving. Mm. Uh, and uh, in, in many ways, we would agree. I think I quoted somewhere uh, James Packer's uh, saying that liberalism has only a sort of squatter's right within a, a mainline denomination. We would believe that that's true, but liberalism had got has got such a grip on the Church of Scotland, that it, I think it becomes unrealistic, really, to mm. to say you know it's the liberals that should leave. They just aren't going to leave. That's and, right. Uh, right. So for evangelicals, I think there came, there has come the the crux of the matter as to whether to remain within what we see as an unfaithful denomination or to depart. Unfortunately, yep. perhaps um, there there wasn't any concerted action. It was left to individuals to to do what they believed to be right. Um, in some ways, that's maybe a regret. It would have been nice if everybody had been able to act together 
but that just for some for whatever reason I, I don't fully understand that either. It just didn't happen, and mm. uh, individuals have had to make their own moves, mostly towards the Free Church of Scotland. Uh, others well, have gone in other directions, but uh, mostly that way. Well, the Church of Scotland's loss is the Free Church of Scotland's gain. Well, I, I think so. Yes, I think so. <laughs> I'm not talking about myself in particular, because I'm retired, but uh, right. there are many ministries. I mean, the Church of Scotland has lost significant ministries and significant congregations over this. Um, many people have pointed out in the General Assembly at different times that that would be the outcome, that the Church was in danger of losing many of its best congregations, so to speak, and many of its faithful ministers. But that kind of argument uh, just fell on deaf ears, really. Yep. What was the, um, in brief, um, you mentioned that this one minister really started the ball rolling, as it were, more in a formal sense in 2009. Uh But what then happened as far as the process from that point to a year ago or, or so, um, mm-hmm. when it all, as it were, fell apart? Yeah, there uh, have been... What actions were taken? Well, um, the, they approved, the General Assembly approved of that particular uh, denom- um, induction. And so, in a sense, that was really the thing that opened the door for mm-hmm. all sorts of other things. And the, the Assembly has had a, a habit of saying, speaking with a forked tongue, I, I think, I mean, saying two different things, uh, saying that we actually hold to a traditional view about marriage and sexual relationships, but at the same time, allow people to depart from that. And, and actually, that was one of the, I suppose, one of the crux points. I think that was 2013, if I, if I remember rightly, that... Um, a move was suggested actually by a former moderator who would claim to be an evangelical to say, uh, I've got it written down, that the thing was affirm the church's historic and current doctrine and practice in relation to human sexuality. Nonetheless, permit those Kirk sessions who wish to depart to do so. That's what I mean by a forked tongue. I mean, it's trying to say two things at the same time right, which are sure. contradictory. Some right. of us likened it to... Uh, saying that the speed limit in a certain area is so many miles per hour, but if anybody wants to go faster, that's all right. Which, yeah, which invalidates the speed limit. Yeah, yeah it's just a complete it's... contradiction. Right. Well, well that, that... When... Sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's that's been typical of the way that this has gone, and, of course, it's now uh, let, landed in the position where practicing homosexuals are eligible to be ministers and... The church, the church zone, has not yet given approval to the conduct of so-called gay marriages within churches. That's actually still under consideration. Uh, so that some people have pointed out that they have the anomalous uh, situation where they can have a minister who is living in a homosexual uh, marriage, so-called, but he's not permitted to marry other people. <laughs> and that, that, yeah, that in that, itself, you know, yeah, like, that seems. Odd, and, yeah. and and it's like it's like you know that the, the cart just tipping over eventually. That the yeah. whole cart's going to go. Yeah. Um, if the person pushing the cart can do what is biblically wrong, then how lo- much longer will it be before the people are able to as yes. well? Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about the Church of Scotland and its relationship to the local church. Now, it, various denominations in the United States, as you're probably aware, mm. um, um, 
like I'm in the Presbyterian Church in America, and, and if a church wanted to pull out of the denomination, they do so pretty much without penalty. Um, they maintain their property. They maintain their own entity. They're, as it were, an autonomous congregation within the denomination. Probably not mm-hmm. the best word, autonomous. But, mm-hmm. but, the, but the Presbyterian doesn't own their property, doesn't own any financial rights to them in any way, or the denomination doesn't. Is that the case in the Church of Scotland? No, I'm afraid the, the situation here is very different from that. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, it's a, as in Presbyterianism generally, there's a system of course. Of course, the, the Kirk Session is responsible to the Presbytery and the Presbytery to the General Assembly. And the General Assembly is the ruling, the ultimate ruling body. But there is a, a General Assembly committee or board called the General Trustees and Properties, that is uh, churches and manses, and church halls, all properties are vested in these general trustees. And that's been another uh, crux of uh, this issue, that uh, congregations, individual ministers and congregations who have left have had to leave without their buildings, without any property at all. Uh, That has been a a source of argument uh, because many of us have felt, well, people who are leaving are standing on what has always been the Church of Scotland's orthodox position. And why should they lose their buildings because of that? But I'm afraid we haven't won that argument. Uh, it's just been uh, out, out you go. And so even, is that... even in the case, in some cases, uh, in one or two notable cases, congregations had spent very large sums of money in refurbishing their buildings, bringing them up to modern standards. But that didn't carry any weight at all. Has this found its way into the legal system in, in Scotland um, as a result? I, I don't think there have actually been any uh, cases in the courts, really. No, no. I, I think the thing, the, the Church of Scotland as a, an establishment has got the thing so well tied up that uh, there hasn't really been any opportunity to challenge it at law. Right, so this is heavily politicized as well, mm-hmm. and it, and it's interesting to me as you're talking about uh, the cost that was paid by yeah. those men who left the Church of Scotland because of. We're going to get to the core issue. I don't think I think homosexuality is the symptom. I don't That's think right. it's the mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. I think your book yeah. points that out very clearly. Yeah. Um, but it seems that these men who left, I mean, they they did it at great cost, not just to their church, but but to themselves. If they mm-hmm. were in a manse, yes. um, they had to leave. Um, other. Um, cases uh, of men that you personally know that uh, had to leave their home because they have left the church? Yes, there have been. The church got Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my, uh, my two sons have both been in that position as well as many others. Um, one of my sons was effectively unemployed for uh, nearly a year, I think, before he was eventually called to a congregation of the Free Church. Um, so yeah, there there has been a, a considerable cost, and and he's a married man with four four of a family, mm. um, and and that's he's not not alone in this by any means. So that there has been a, a considerable fin- um, personal cost, financial cost, emotional family cost. Uh, yes, a, a, a real sacrifice on the part of many many men. Yeah, uh, you can see that, and 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 as. And as that it played itself out, as far as the, they held their credentials in the Church of Scotland, and so did the, did the church then strip them of their ordination? Um, not, no, most of them have, have simply resigned, have, have actually taken the initiative themselves and resigned. 
Okay, but they haven't. They didn't demit then the, the ministry. They just resigned from the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Resigned. Well, resigned their uh, their ministry within the Church of Scotland. Okay, so when they moved into the Free Church, where they yes, did they have to they, undergo yeah. that whole process again? And, well, yes, they had to be had to apply to be recognised, uh, as I have done even as a retired minister. I mean, I, I've uh, had to apply to be recognised as a minister of the Free Church. Um, yep. Not that there's been any great difficulty with that, and in fact, the Free Church has been very helpful and accommodating, and it's been a a, a time of good fellowship. And in many ways, uh, quite an exciting time for all that about sacrifice and the cost. Um, there is a certain, I think, a certain excitement about the way that, uh, that the, the Lord is leading people. And mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, you know, these new congregations and new ministries uh, will see a new spiritual impetus behind them for the, for the days to come. Sure, we believe. Uh, you know what the the text says: "Them that honor me, I will honor." That's and, right. Uh, that's really what we believe, and what has uh, what many people would testify to. Sure, and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' yeah. sake. Yeah. Um, now, what about the men? And, and, and certainly, you you're in the Church of Scotland thirty nine years. Um, you, mm -hmm. you you probably know of men who elected not to leave. Um, yes. And, and what was their reason for not leaving? Right. So that's, uh, th there have been a, quite a number of uh, reasons given uh, for, for not leaving. Um, I, I mentioned already that some people argue, well, we evangelicals are the real Church of Scotland. Right, sure. You know, standing on the confession of faith and so on. Um, that's been one argument. They've also, one of the principal arguments has been the work from within argument, the idea that people, rather than leaving, should stay within the liberal denomination and fight from within, try to have an influence from within. Um, I, I, and I suppose another factor in the minds of many men has been actually a sense of responsibility to the people in their congregation or in their parish. Um, not wanting to, to leave the, the flock without a shepherd. <clears throat> Um, mm -hmm. And and you know one can applaud that uh, argument, especially perhaps in rural areas where, if the minister were to leave, there might not be very many alternatives for people in, in terms of going to another congregation. I mean, sure, you know. So that's that's been another argument that has been put forward. These are some of the reasons that people have given for staying, and and there are a few. Um, quite, you know, strongly committed evangelical people who are still ministers within the CFS. Yep. Just out of curiosity, uh, what relationship does, do you have with Sinclair Ferguson? I know you wrote the foreword to the book, yeah. and um, obviously here in the United States, he's a greatly respected yes. man who um, he um, was the pat the senior minister at an ARP congregation in mm -hmm. Columbia, South Carolina. Then. You know, then he moved back. I think moved back to Scotland. Um, yes. in, right in the middle of all this. Yes, am am right. I right about that? That's right. He, he's he's actually acting as a kind of associate um, minister in another of, in the Free Church congregation in Dundee, which uh, we live just beside Dundee. Um, I mean, obviously, I've known of Sinclair over all the years, and we're roughly contemporary. Um, but uh, I didn't really know him very well until he, he till I retired to this area, and then he retired and moved back to Scotland and came to live in this area. And over these last few years, I've, I've been delighted to, 
get to know him, of course. Well, that's that's very good. As I yeah. said, he's well respected here and um, mm-hmm. affiliated with the Banner, of course, yes, of as course. well. At least mm-hmm. he was. I, yeah, I'm not sure if he still is. I think he is. Yes, I am. Um, he's, he's still writing. <laughs> he's oh, he's oh. putting various things on the go. It's yeah. good for the church that he keeps doing that. Yeah. So we've we've talked about what happened, the, you know, the whys, but you know, the, the, the rationale for leaving. Um, as as I was um, going over the book and I was thinking through this discussion today, mm-hmm. it, and it seems that you 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 labored to demonstrate this. The the rationale for leaving wasn't so much the issue of homosexuality. Obviously, that was the symptom, mm-hmm. um, but it really stems down to a more fundamental issue, doesn't yes, it? It does indeed, yes. The basic question is the question of the Church's attitude to the Bible, um, and that's that's where, where we have taken a stand, really, um, because in, in some matters there may be room for debate, room for discussion about what Scripture says and how it should be interpreted in, in light of contemporary life and so on and so forth. But uh, we've maintained on this issue there really isn't any argument. And the interesting thing is that in the various reports that have been given by mixed groups, uh, that is, liberals and evangelicals together, it's been unanimously agreed that Scripture does not allow homosexual practice. You know, even the liberals seem to have accepted that that is the biblical position. Uh, but uh, that's, that's the problem. Uh, despite that, they've decided to, to, to defy it. Um, one of the crucial moments was in, in one of the General Assemblies some time ago when a, an elder in a speech made the comment that we, we know what the Bible says, but today we know better. Mm. Now, that, now that, I, I'm, that poor elder, I, 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 I don't know who he is, actually, I, I, and he may be an uninstructed elder, but what a, a, a tragic thing to say. You know, that seemed to many people to just encapsulate the whole problem. We know better than the Bible. So that's yeah, been that's the, the basic issue. Yes, the, the Church of Scotland claims that the, the Scriptures are the it's, it's, it's supreme rule of faith and life. That's the expression that's used. But in fact, uh, it doesn't seem that that is in reality the case at all. Yeah, the proof's in the pudding kind of thing. Yeah. It's easy to say it. It's a whole other yeah, thing to do yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. What was, there, what was the, the Church of Scotland's rationale then to defend uh, what ultimately became a very bad decision? They, they've constantly referred to the law of the land, um, you know, the, the, the civil law, which has allowed, first of all, civil partnerships, and then now so-called marriage, same-sex marriage. Um, and... Uh, I suppose in many ways that's been the argument that, that the church needs to keep pace with the way that uh, things are going in, in the climate around us and the culture, which, uh, you know, as you and I would say is a very, very poor argument, but sure. that has carried a lot of weight with a lot of people. Um, and, and I suppose the other thing alongside of that would be perhaps the personal aspect of it. And I think many people have been swayed by the fact that they know so-and-so and so-and-so who are homosexuals and who are living together and so on. And they're nice people. <laughs> you know, and, and that has led them to an acceptance of, of that which is biblically unacceptable. Yeah, the nice people argument. I've yes. heard that many times. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And as I remind my elders here, um, I'm a pastor of a small church in North Carolina, and mm-hmm. as I remind them, I say, you know, we are here to serve the people. Um, mm-hmm. But just remember, we may be their servants, but they are not our masters. Yes, please, please. And, you know, mm-hmm. so there will be times when you're going to have to remind yourself of that in situations in the church because the person you're dealing with is a nice person mm-hmm. or you have a relationship with them for 10 years, but now they've, they've, they've fallen into some grievous sin or they, they've you've got to do your job as an elder. You can't yes. politicize it. You can't, um, you can't, um, subvert the process that Christ gave and, mm-hmm. and, and follow it accordingly and let him be God and handle it. Yes. Um, and so, and it does seem very odd to me, frankly, that the church of Scotland would appeal to, uh, appeal to a civil uh, law uh, mm-hmm. to, it, 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 in some sense, it seems, and, and I'd like your opinion on this, that, that, that they believe the civil magistrate then trumps, therefore, what the Bible says. Well, nobody would actually say it like that. Uh, they, they, wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't agree that that is the position. Um, it's just that, de facto, that is their, their actual modus operandi. Um, you know, they would still claim that, uh, well... Scripture is our supreme rule of faith and life. That's what it says in our documents. Uh, but in fact, it's it's just, as, as you said, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, and it, it's how it works out on the ground that really matters. One of, well, the, one of the things that pe- many people have uh, argued here is that uh, in the past, ministers have departed from orthodoxy in many ways. I mean, we have had actual ministers of the Church of Scotland, as in other denominations as well, who have denied fundamental things, uh, even denied the resurrection of Christ, uh, denied the, the atonement, uh, you know, the substitutionary atonement, and so on. Um, and so why should people leave over this issue? And uh, our answer to that has been that uh, individual ministers in the past may have erred and strayed, but we have a situation now where the denomination as a as a body, as a denomination, has decided to depart from its scriptural moorings. And that's a, yeah, that's a much more serious difference. matter. Yeah, much yeah, more serious. Huge, mm-hmm. That's right. It's a huge difference. Um, yeah. Now, now the, the title of the book is A Sad Departure, and, and I want to focus on that just for a few minutes because mm-hmm. it strikes me um, as as one who agrees with what the ministers in the Church of Scotland who departed, I, I agree for their reasons, mm-hmm. and I agree with everything you just had said, but it strikes mm-hmm. me that the term, a sad departure, is placed on the title of this book. In other words, as I read the book, and as I look at the title of the book, I recognize that this departure wasn't something that people wanted to do, mm-hmm. or were gleeful about doing, because why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, because uh, because of the history of the Church of Scotland, because of the potential of the Church of Scotland, really, it's it's so sad that a denomination which has had, I mean, we're talking about the the, the Church of John Knox and of so many others over the years, mm-hmm. and which uh, has has tried hard to maintain a ministry over the whole of Scotland, you know, a, a church in every parish. That was actually John Knox's ideal was a church and a school in every parish. Um, that a denomination with that kind of background and with that kind of potential, that that should depart from Scripture really is a, is a tragedy. And 
the word sad is almost uh, an, an understatement. It's, it's a tragic departure. And the, the title actually is meant to convey that double meaning of the, the fact that our departure, those of us who have left the Church of Scotland have been sad to do so, but it's because of the sad departure of the Church of Scotland from the Word of God that we have uh, taken that action. So you see how it, it, it's meant to convey that double double meaning. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I'm really impressed, actually, by how you express that, because uh, here in the United States, you know, we're always fighting against the progressive movements within yeah. denominations, and 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 sometimes I think it's possible, if we're not careful, that we get a little bit too wound up in the reality of, you know, leaving because of X Y Z reason, and don't recognize that that by leaving, it, it's not something we should boast or be gleeful no, about no. as it, as it relates to the relationship. Um, we're thankful to, to to honor the Lord and His Word by doing that, but at the end of the day. Um, at the end of the day, um, it should break our hearts because yeah. it's a relationship that we've had for a long time with various people, ministers who may maybe not see it the way we do. And so yes. I was encouraged by that title, frankly, because I think it captures the right emotion mm-hmm. and sense by which we do these things. Now, yeah. when you left the Church of Scotland, was it, um, you mentioned earlier in the discussion that it was based on individuals' decisions to do or not do, mm-hmm. uh, to, to leave or not leave. Um, but was there discussion among those who were very concerned about where the Church of Scotland was, and yeah. was there, a, was there, um, as it were, a corporate move away, or was it just strictly individual? There, there were various discussions, uh, various meetings held at different times, uh, but in the end of the day, it was more of an individual movement away. Uh, we, we, for for whatever reason, we just weren't able to 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 formulate anything that would bring everybody to act together. So in, so in fact, it has been a case of individuals uh, having to take their own action. And as, as you'll know, the last section of the book is actually a collection mm-hmm. of more or less testimonies of the, right. the different ways in which different men uh, were led to do what they did. In some cases, just... sorry, I was going to say no. in some cases to move to join a, another denomination and in some cases to form new fellowships altogether. Hey, that's what I was going to ask. Was there discussion uh, to just start a whole new Presbyterian denomination in Scotland? And if there were that those discussions, what was the general flavor um, of those discussions? I think there, there would be a lot of people who would regret very much the formation of another Presbyterian denomination mm-hmm. because there, there are so many and our, our history is, uh, yeah. is littered with division and so on. Although... The, the the problem, really, I was discussing this with somebody just the other day, the problem is that in each occasion when there's been a split, people have been thoroughly convinced that that there, were, that there was a good reason for their departure, for, for splitting from their denomination, and we're still involved in it uh, today. But in many ways, uh, the, a denomination like the Free Church of Scotland, particularly, almost exists for such a time as this. That's that's my own personal view, anyway. Um, and most of the movement actually has been towards the Free Church of Scotland. Uh, others, you know, there are individuals that have gone in other directions, like one of my sons that's in IPC now, and another in the um, uh, United Free Church, and so on. Uh, but no, there there hasn't been the formation of any new denomination as such. Yeah. 
No, I think you're right. I, and I, I've seen the, uh, the timeline, as it were, of Presbyterianism throughout the history of the world, and it's pretty con- convoluted, it is, yeah, to say the very, least. Very convoluted. Uh, <laughs> trying to follow all the lines, and it's like, oh, well. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think a real practical question at this juncture is, we've been talking mostly about the ministers who took a stand for the authority of God's word, its infallibility, its inerrancy. Yeah. And um, and we've talked about the symptom of the, the real problem, which is that. Um, mm-hmm. But how has this issue impacted the people of God? The, the average yeah. Joe who comes to church every Lord's Day and goes home, tries to take care of his family and, mm-hmm. and work a job, and how has this impacted them? Yep, different, differently in different places. The, I, I'm not sure who the average Joe is, uh, unfortunately, because, in, as you'll know, the Church of Scotland is a pretty mixed denomination, um, and we have many people who are completely, who are thoroughly committed to the Lord and to His Word. We also have, within the Church of Scotland, many people who are, um, dare we say, just church attenders, you know, mm-hmm. who worship, who, who go to church on a Sunday, and, and that's about as far as it goes. I think there are quite a lot of the latter, quite a lot of people throughout the country who really aren't bothered very much about it all. Um, but on the other hand, there have been many who have been, like the like ministers, have been greatly troubled by it, elders and other members. And over, I, we haven't, we don't, have any indication of numbers of members actually, but there are hundreds or thousands, probably thousands of individual people who have uh, left the Church of Scotland over this issue, uh, aside, you know, apart from the ministers concerned. Yeah. So no, I mixed, it's mixed reaction. Yeah. 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 No question. It's mm-hmm. really no different here. Um, you know, mm-hmm. just like you just described, we have people come to church and they check the box and, okay, yeah. I did my duty. Yeah. And then you have people who are very seriously committed to God's kingdom. Uh-huh. And so um, yeah. and as a minister of 40, 40 years and me very early in my ministry, mm-hmm. it's the it's the ones that just come check the box that are the ones that always discourage me, as it were. Yeah. Um, it's the ones that are very faithful and committed to the kingdom of God that are always the mm-hmm. encouraging ones. And, of course, they're the ones that are generally not um, having issues either. So yeah, it just kind of kind of goes together, I guess. Yeah. So what, what next? Um, is this done as far as the ministers who have left? They're, they're through with this issue? They're not, there's nothing more to do? Or is there something to be done still yet? No, I, th- I think they are uh, done with it in that sense. They have made their decision to leave the Church of Scotland, um, become established in whatever other denomination or congregation they're in now. And uh, actually, one of the interesting things is that uh, a, a number of the men that I've spoken to who have left have afterwards said things like, no regrets. That's been a, mm-hmm. a common uh, response that uh, for all it's been a sad departure, uh, in the end of the day, they really have no regrets. They've, they've felt that they have done the thing that was uh, the right thing to do, was the faithful thing to do, and so no regrets at all. And I think uh, seeking to just go forward in, in the Lord's service in, in a new sphere of ministry altogether. So it's quite yeah, exciting. Quite exciting. Yeah, and that's well said. And I think, you know, of course, we can continue to pray for the Church of Scotland that they would repent of this. Yeah, indeed, and, yes. um, Yes. and turn away from this, and um, yeah. and and the Lord can certainly do that, and He has done that in the past. Uh, yes, I think of Israel, um, mm-hmm. and so um, 
you know, we can certainly do that and, and hope that the Lord would, would, would work um, in the hearts and minds of those who are still there. And then also yeah. pray, for, pray for those who did choose to stay, uh, who don't uh-huh. necessarily hold that position, yeah. that they would be protected from any evil intentions or motives of men and, um, and, and pray yeah. that they would be strengthened in their resolve to honor the Lord faithfully um, under That's the right. banner of his word. Yeah. And That's so, right, and I think sometimes we have to uh, agree to disagree. And and yep. uh, we can uh, 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 what's what's the expression about we can manage to disagree agreeably. That's right. Yeah, like gentlemen. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate this discussion, and it, it's helped me uh, learn a few things. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was aware of some of the issues, of course, but I was this all was happening while I was still in seminary, so I, my yeah. attention was probably div- uh, d- distracted at some level um, mm-hmm. <laughs> or a lot of levels um, and other things. <laughs> yes. But this has helped me understand a little better um, the, the wrestling is in the issues yeah. that have occurred. And it is sad uh, mm-hmm. to see, um, especially as you highlighted it through the timeline of John Knox and, yeah. you know, really the birthplace of Presbyterianism as it were. And, mm-hmm. um, but it, it, I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about this and for writing the book. I think, uh, the listeners would be, um, would be strengthened to read it because, uh, you know, history has a tendency to repeat itself. And yeah. at the end of the day, uh, it, if it happened at the Church of Scotland, it, it can happen here. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen it happen here in the United States. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. um, and especially those men who are training for the ministry and the reality that the, you may be called upon to give up everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And because of, because of your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, it is an encouraging book in that sense. Um, it highlights the issues from a historical perspective, but it also is practical in the reality that um, at the end of the day, we may all be called to do that very thing that many of you have done there mm-hmm. in Scotland. So I commend you brothers for your labors uh, mm-hmm. and for standing tr- standing true. Um, nothing is done in secret, as you well know. Um, I just preached on Psalm 11 this past Sunday and, and oh, yeah. made reference to that as we were as we're facing an election in this country. Of course. And that that nothing is done in secret. God, mm-hmm. who sees all, um, will vindicate his people at the end and for their yeah. faithfulness. And, yes, and certainly does. like you, like you, we all want to hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful yes. servant. Yes, and so that's I the bottom line, that, isn't it? He, he is on the throne, and uh, right. his kingdom will outlast all others. That's right, that's yeah. right. Well, David, I really appreciate it, and I thank you for writing this book and for your labors and, and for 40 years in the ministry, mm-hmm. and I'm sure the Lord has used you greatly in His uh, for and with His people, and um, and thank you for taking the time to talk you know, to me. It's been a pleasure to, to have this conversation, and thanks very much for the, the opportunity to do that. Very welcome. If you could hold on the line just a minute, yeah. I'm going to just wrap up some quick things with the listeners, right. um, just to bring everybody up to speed, um, uh, what's coming up on the program, and I just need to find out, and then I'll tell you. Okay, here <laughs> it is. Um, uh, one of the uh, features of the podcast that we're, we're rolling out uh, beginning in October is what we call, we're calling a graduate spotlight, and so we're going to be sitting down and talking with graduates of Greenville Seminary uh, as to what the Lord has, has been doing in their life, where they're currently ministering and laboring, and so Next, the next program, uh, we're, we're going to be talking with Mr. Lowell Ivey. He graduated one year before I did um, from Greenville Seminary, and we'll be talking about his labors and work in Virginia Beach, Virginia. He is part of uh, an, he is the organizing pastor of Reformation Orthodox Presbyterian Church there in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia. So we'll be talking with him about the ministry, the work, the challenges that he's facing, and, and needs and prayers that we can offer on his behalf. 
following that, we're going to be sitting down with Jim Gerritsen. He is um, going to be uh, helping us roll out a, another new feature of the podcast, Figures in Presbyterian History. And um, so Jim Gerritsen will be on to talk about Archibald Alexander. So those are a couple things that are coming up on the program. Um, if you want to find out more as to what we're doing on the podcast, you can visit the website, confessingourhope.com. If you have questions, criticisms, inquiries, I take them all. Uh, you can write me at confessingourhope at gpts.edu. So until next time, we'll sit down with Mr. Lowell Ivey, uh, who is the organizing pastor of Reformation OPC in Virginia Beach, Virginia. We do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary and Congress.